Well, we've reached, we're reaching our peak, or we've reached our peak, really, of why we're doing this series. Throughout this, from beginning to Genesis to now, we've been leading into Jesus and his foretelling of his uh, crucifixion and his resurrection. And all of this has been building. And today is that day that we talk about his resurrection. Thankfully, it doesn't end with the cross. It ends with, um, it really begins with his resurrection and really all that means for us. But I know it's not Easter, but he has risen. Indeed. So we've been going through this series and ever since the beginning, when the devil tried to deceive Eve and men fell, God was not shocked by this matter. He didn't go and say, oh my goodness, my people have gone astray. He had a plan for us. He had a purpose for us. And we've talked about many stories in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that pointed to him as the intercessor, that pointed to him as the better Adam. And we've highlighted that in our series. He was, as we talked about last week, he was beaten, he was hung on the cross, he was stabbed on the side, and he died for our sins. He, uh, on that cross, also bore all the struggles we all face in this room, all the addictions that we've had, all of the lies we've told, every struggle we're going to deal with. He took it upon himself. And that's where we ended last week. And something that Chris said that was really, really impactful for me was he reminded me of when he died on the cross, it was a way for us to now be made right with him. We could all go to him. We didn't have to be a priest. We didn't have to be uh, highly religious. doesn't matter about our background. We can go to him today. And in this room today, we worship him and we give praise to him. And it's because of the cross and his resurrection that we can go and talk to him whenever we want. And that is very important. But if the resurrection didn't happen, all that we've talked about is for nothing. It would have been for fun. It would have been very sad. If, we, if the resurrection didn't happen, everything we've learned about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, is a lie. It's not true. And so we can't forget to leave out. We cannot leave out the resurrection and the story of Jesus. And as we'll see in the story, there were people who tried to stage, uh, make this look staged or uh, make it a conspiracy and say, oh, that didn't really happen. And if we, and I know many people in here, everybody actually, and I, if I know you, then you don't believe this, but for anybody who's watching who doesn't believe in the resurrection, who doesn't think that the resurrection happened, then you're having a partial gospel and you are not saved without, outside of this resurrection story. We have to, as Christians, believe that this happened. And I know for many of us who have been Christians for a long, long time, it's no big deal. Like We believe in Jesus and we believe he died and he rose again. But that miracle that we believe takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of work. The, the, we, for some of us, maybe it took a long, long time to get to that point where we believed it. But what we believe is foolishness, as we know, to those who do not believe. It doesn't make sense. And so for many of us, we know this story really well. 
And there's part of me in this story, too, that was like, man, I know this story, but I don't know if I, I've actually never preached it like this. So it's, this is new for me. Um, and I often don't um, go out and evangelize like I should and tell people um, this on a daily basis. So it's like, I know how to do this, but how do I make it make sense? How do I make sure that what I'm saying comes across to someone who doesn't know? Because I can use the big words or, oh, yeah, all the words that the, he's a repitiation for, like all of these words, and it means nothing if they're like, I don't understand. And so it's a very familiar story. And obviously it, it's everything, everything that we believe hinges on this story. And we have to believe it. But um, as it says in Romans 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, as I've said before, we have to believe that God raised him from the dead for our sins to be forgiven, for us to be saved. It's part of the whole gospel and the whole story. He, does, he didn't stay on the cross. So today is that day for salvation for those who hear and for us in the room. Today we're talking about his resurrection and the grace that we're walking in now is because of this story that we're talking about. So as we know, this story takes place in all four Gospels, and all four Gospels highlights something different. And I know last time I talked about um, the triumphal entry, and I kind of highlighted that there were different sections of the story that got told. And it's kind of the same way here. A lot of the story has the same elements, but it almost is like it's a different perspective. Um, different disciples wanted to highlight different things. And if we all were there, we would all have a different perspective of how things went down. And so as I was reading it, I was like, man, how do I make sure, one, that I don't go too, too complicated on this, but that the, how do I make sure that I don't look like it's really easy for this to be made up? How do I make it make sense? Because to a non-believer, it's really easy. I'm gonna read Mark and I'm gonna read Luke and they both contradict each other, so I'm dropping the whole thing. And so if we don't take the time to learn the Bible for ourselves, if we don't take the time to um, dive in it and understand and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in our understanding, we can just throw it out as well. And I can get really confused, like, God, why did you make this so confusing with all of these things? Um, but through my studies, and I know a lot of us, um, since we know the story well, this is all really supporting with each perspective. It's supporting another um, gospel it's just different perspectives on the matter. And so these contradictions may seem confusing, but they really are supporting the holistic story. It's, I, I might say this later, but I'm going to get it out of the way because, you know, we can forget. But if the story that we read was the exact same copy-paste in every single gospel, we can maybe start to think this is something's up. Like if my friends and I got together and say, okay, because I've done this before, this, this is how this went down. And we got to make sure that it went down this way so that we all have the same story. Then that would seem a little fishy because it's like, okay, y'all playing this, that means you're hiding something. And we'll get into that because thankfully it's not like that in the Bible. It's very cut and dry and we'll see the disciples look like crazy fools because they don't know what's happening. And so really what I'm trying to say is it's the contradictions that look like contradictions really are supporting one another because it is the truth. And there was nothing hidden from that. So let's go ahead and read. I'll read the first 
10 passages, or 10 passages, 10 verses right now, and then we'll dive into 11 through 15 a little bit later. I'm in Matthew 28. It says, After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear that they became like dead men. The angel told the woman, Do not be afraid, because I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So, departing quickly from the tomb, with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee. They will see me there also. Or there. I added also, just in there. So we see that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are going to the tomb. And it doesn't say in this text, but they have spices with them, and they're fully prepared to make sure that they have a proper burial for Jesus, which is a signal that they did not know either that he was going to rise or they wouldn't have brought all this. But they go to the tomb, and as they're approaching, Matthew says, there's a loud earthquake because an angel of the Lord has ascended and rolled away the tomb. We never explicitly in this text get a, and he walked out, and Jesus walked out of the tomb. Um, it's, it's already open when Mary Magdalene and, and the other Mary get there. And um, as we'll see later in the upper room, Jesus didn't need the stone rolled away for him to walk out. He can walk through whatever now in his glorified body. And so the, the tomb and the stone being rolled away was not for Jesus. It was for them. It was so that they could go in and see that he was not there. The purpose of this was to see, as we see in verse 6, come and see the place where he lay. So more than seeing Jesus walk out, it's the overall more important fact that we, they could walk in and see that the tomb was empty. Now, the earthquake, I kind of go, like, why didn't an earthquake happen? You have those thoughts of, this is very interesting, but there's an earthquake and an angel at the beginning of the story. And as the angel appeared, there was another earthquake. And we know the last earthquake happened when he died. The moment he had his last breath, there was an earthquake. And now it's, it's as if it's a signaling to everybody else that he's back. And so it looks as if God uses an earthquake as a divine sense of his presence. And it's something that cannot be made. It's something that you, you can't make an earthquake happen. And it's something that we can't make up in the story. And so it's... a it's very interesting, but it's supernatural. It's something that between God and the heavens and earth, he created. And I really believe it's a signal that he was back, that what he came to do, he did. And so now we see that God is in complete control of the earth, and we know that. And the angel that we see here is like that of Daniel 10 in Revelation 5. Their appearance was, uh, their eyes were like lightning. I have no idea what that would look like. And they're their clothes were like white as snow. And we see that the soldiers who were guarding a dead man became like dead men. 
And the person, Jesus, who was in the tomb who was dead is now alive and gone. And so it's really interesting to see that the people who are supposed to be guarding them are now unconscious and like a dead man. But the women were also frightened, just like the men, but they, weren't, they didn't faint. But the angels also didn't come for the guards. They came to tell the, the women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, and there's other, other women there, according to some of the other Gospels. But they came to tell them to go tell the disciples. And something I found pretty interesting here, and I hope it's not a stretch, but the guards fell in fear to the point of like they were like dead men. And if what if we know Jesus dying and coming back is true, you should definitely be afraid if you're a non-believer because everything that you just did just backfired. So if you're a non-believer, you should definitely be like the guards and greatly afraid. And now we know that there is fear in the women, but there was also joy. So they were full of fear and joy. And I feel like that's a little bit like us believers. If this story, if we, I mean, if I saw an angel, you know, I'd definitely be afraid. But I would also be, if they're telling me Jesus is back, he's risen, I would be afraid and full of joy because we've placed our hope in that. And we want and need that for our, our, our salvation. And so there, there's a little mix here of, yes, there, this is a scary time, but it's also a very joyful time because what he said, he did. So we see that um, the angel tells the women, don't be afraid, for they know, and he says, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified and has now been risen from the dead. The phrase, just as he said, brings me great peace and comfort because it shows that Jesus is a man of his word. Three different times, Jesus told the disciples he was going to do this. He didn't leave them in the dark. And I'm going to just highlight real quick those instances. In Matthew 16, 21, he said, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. That was the first time he told the disciples this was going to happen. Second time was the next chapter over in chapter 17, verse 22. It says, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. And the third time was Matthew 20, verses 18 and 19. It says, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. So three different times Jesus is having these moments with his disciples and telling them, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back. I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back. I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back. And he never wants, it's very, it just shows you that he cares to tell his disciples what's going to happen. Even though they don't understand, and he knows they weren't going to understand, he didn't leave them in the dark. He'd come back and he will later say, I came just like I said, I was going to come back. Um, but we see that he, he is a man of his word. He came back. And so Another, error, another thing that's very small in this text, but that he's a man of his word, is that he actually said in Matthew 26, 32, he said, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. So in this passage, the angel tells Mary, go tell them to go meet me in Galilee. 
And he had already told them, after the third day, meet me in Galilee. And I just found that really interesting. Like, I definitely, I would put myself in the disciple's shoes. I wouldn't have gotten it either. Um, but he just reaffirms them and says, go tell them that I'm going to Galilee. So now Jesus, um, we see that, that after the angel tells the woman to, to, to go to the disciples, they run, they have great fear. They're, they're, they're full of emotion. I can't imagine the emotion they're faced with right now. They're fearful, but they're also really joyful. Like, if this is true, everything's changed. Everything's different. And so as they're going to the disciples, the Lord, Jesus Christ, is so gracious, and he appears to them before he even gets to the disciples, and he says, greetings. I would just be so shocked. I know that they were, they were shocked. But we see that Jesus allowed not only these women to get the first news and tell the disciples, but he also gave these women the first look of himself. And we know very well that the women were not as respected as men in that day. They didn't have the same education. And so this is all countercultural to that time. And as we'll see in a little bit, the women telling the role of this story, if you were going to make this story up, you would not put them as the one telling the story. You would put a man doing it. And so that plays into why this wasn't made up as well. But they get to that point, and Jesus, and they get to Jesus's um, face, basically, and they fall to their knees, and they worship him, and they're able to touch and see and feel that he is real, and they're seeing the history that we are living out changed in front of them. And it just, I, it, the, it's just changed forever. And they were, it, they were firsthand witnesses of this. And he falls at his feet. And I'm thinking, that this is my take on when we get to heaven. Because we all like to say, when I get to heaven, I just talked to some people at the church forever. I'm going to hug them. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. For me, I'm going to be like these women. I'm going to be like falling on my face because I, I don't deserve to be here. I'm going to fall on my face, and I, just get a, I get a glimpse of what heaven will be like when we get there. We're going to fall at his feet. We're going to worship him. We're going to give him praise. And so this is just a little glimpse, I feel like, of what heaven will be like. But this is how the women responded. If we know the story of, of one of the Marys, that's what she did like three times. She anointed his feet. And he was sitting at her, her, his feet teaching, and now she's here doing the same thing. And so um, I just think that's really cool that we're going to also be at his feet listening, learning, worshiping as well. Now, the, the, this passage doesn't go into detail about what he says to the disciples, what they say to the disciples. We know that they're going to tell the disciples what, um, what just happened. And I'm going to highlight three passages and talk a little bit about doubt. I hope that doesn't steal your thunder next week, Dr. Spivey. But uh, I thought it was really like I have to address this because as I was reading the, the parallel passages, the main theme of doubt kept coming up, and I was like, I have to address this. Um, but I'm going to go a little bit out of Matthew for the moment and go into Mark and Luke and John. In Mark 16, 10 through 13, they do have this conversation, and it reads, She went and reported to those who had been with him as they were mourning and weeping. Yet when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe it. After this, he appeared in a different form to two of them walking on the way into the country. And when 
and, and they went and reported it to the rest, who did not believe them either. So we see that the disciples who had been traveling with Jesus this whole time had heard multiple times that Jesus was going to die and that he was going to be resurrected, clearly did not have a clue or a single hint that he was actually going to come back. And nowhere in this particular passage that we read did they say, like, they immediately believed. And in other passages, they, were say, they say, some believed and some doubted. It was a mix. And we know that there are some other passages where the disciples are running to the tomb. They got to see it for themselves. And uh, so there are some different things here. But the main thing I wanted to take away is that a lot of his disciples doubted that this was going to happen. And they were firsthand in front of him. They could see him. They, he was telling them multiple times and reassuring them that this was going to happen. And then the next passage is Luke, in Luke, in Luke 24, it talks about the story that was highlighted about um, the men walking into the country, and he appears to them, and he says, like, you know, why are you sad? And uh, Cleopas responds that some of, the, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explains to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And later we see in that passage that uh, it says, were not our hearts when, when, they break, when Jesus breaks bread with them? And then disappears. He, they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? They later realized, oh, this is Jesus. And Jesus, you know, I'm surprised they didn't kind of get it when he said, how foolish are you? But we see Jesus kind of telling them, I, this, did I, not, I had to do this. I told you I had to do this. And the third time, um, the gospel I'm going to highlight mentioning some form of doubt is in John and we know this one best. It's the one with Thomas. And we always like to give Thomas a lot of grief. But as I learned this week, there's a lot more, than, a lot more Thomases in the group than just one Thomas. But um, we know that it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so Jesus had already appeared to the disciples at this point in this story. And, but Thomas wasn't there. I really can't blame Thomas for this. I'd be like, okay, I have to see him too. Like, why did you, why did you come when I wasn't there? And I'm, I, it's just really easy to see that point of view for him. And so I can't give him a lot of grief. But um, it says, he was not with the disciples when he came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put, in, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to them, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so we see that Thomas got the opportunity to do it, but he gets a slight rebuke saying, blessed you, you, you see because, you believe because you see. And all of us right now are believing Christians and we haven't seen. 
And uh, he's talking about, yes, people who won't see him, but he's also talking about us here and that um, we won't get to see him, but we do believe that this happened. I wanted to highlight these outside of Matthew because I found it really important to talk about the fact that this was not something that the authors of these books would put in the story if it wasn't true. It was something that um, we all face at some point, and that's the problem of doubt. We all face some kind of doubt with this some point in our life. Maybe not anymore, but I know at some point when our lives get a little bit hard, we start to doubt, like, why is this happening? Is he really out there? And even though we are fully believer, full-on believers, we all have some form of doubt in our, in our bodies that make us really fallible. And he gives us this great story of, it's not great, but comforting story of my disciples also doubted. And so this is uh, very reassuring, but it notes that, you know, that this one's taken from, from you, Dad. I, I had to give credit where credit's due, but the Bible is written by doubters. And so I had to... I, I, the Bible was written by doubters. He said he's going to write a book on that one day, so hold him to it. But um, it's very interesting that the Bible was written by doubters and that the story of the resurrection now it, it is more believable because we see why would they put themselves out there like that if it wasn't true. And um, the next thing is when we doubt, you know, it isn't because we don't believe. It's because we are, are weak people that... We just need that reassurance sometimes, and we all have those moments of doubt, and this highlights that it, though it is normal that we need to just come back to Jesus and put it, our faith right back into him because he will reassure us and he will comfort us, um, but it's something that we all face at some point. The next section, 11 through 15, talks about the deception and lies that were told immediately after the story was told, and let's read through that right now. It says, as they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. After the priest had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, say this, his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ears, we will deal with him and keep you out of trouble. They took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been spread among the Jews, Jewish people, to this day. So before the truth can even get out, a lie is now out there too. And we see that the soldiers, and it's speculated that, are they Roman soldiers or are they, um, you know, the temple guards? Um, it doesn't really matter right now. I, I still don't know where I'm at, but I kind of lean Roman soldiers just a little bit. But... Um, so we see that prior to this passage in uh, Matthew 27, verses 62 to 66, we won't read it, but in 65, it can be translated that, you know, you can they go to Pilate, you can have a guard or take a guard. Um, and so they're fearful that, hey, um, they said that he was going to rise, and they automatically fear, what if they steal the body? So we need to have guards. So that's why the guards were there. And now the story that they were afraid of, then now they just made up and said, okay, well, now we got to run with that story because how do you make the fact that he just disappeared and an angel is now there um, 
other than just telling the truth, but um, we see that they start covering up the truth with this lie. But whoever they were reporting to, like whoever they were, they reported to the chief priest, which makes sense because the chief priest is the one who hired them. And also, let's just say if they are the Roman guards and they hired, you would go to them or you go to the chief priest because he's not going to kill you. But if you go to Pilate, you're dead. And so um, whatever, whoever it is, they go to the chief priest and they say um, what happened. And um, they reassured them and say, don't worry, we won't tell Pilate. And if, we, if, if Pilate finds out, we'll cover for you. But now they're getting to this point where they have to lie and they have to give money and say, hide, like, hide this story, hide this story. This story is so powerful that before anyone could really hear it for themselves, they start fabricating this because the, the power of this story that changes lives, the enemy does not want out. And it's so crazy from the beginning of time when Adam and Eve were in the garden and Satan goes to them and he uses that phrase, did God really say? And he's putting those, that, that deception in, the, in their hearts like, um, maybe he didn't say this, or he starts questioning their, why they're doing things, is, is kind of the same thing as we've seen throughout all the Old Testament and New Testament. It's not any different now. It's, well, did he really rise? And if he did, like, where's the body? Like, all of this. So this, the, this is a, definitely something from the enemy, and also it shows us how human we are in terms of when we're trying to cover something up. But the whole reason that the guards were put there in the first place was so that the disciples wouldn't steal them. But now the soldiers realize that he's gone, and it's very ironic. They say, hey, this is what happened. And they know that if Jesus did, uh, if it was stolen and they were asleep, they would be put to, to death. But even if... And like this story, he wasn't, it wasn't stolen, but they fell asleep unconsciously anyway, that they would be put to death. So it doesn't make any sense that they're like, they go to the chief priest, and then the chief priest tells them, let's make this story up that will still get you killed. You know, like, it doesn't matter if, but they're, they're banking on the fact that they got some money and that somehow the chief priest will hide and cover up whatever for them. And so it doesn't matter that they're going to get killed. It's just like, okay, I, I've already messed up. I've already, like, let my guard down, literally. And um, now I have to tell this lie for the sake of my life. And so now we see them going and telling the, the, uh, everybody, uh, whoever, what really happened. If you heard that story, that's not true. This is actually what happened, et cetera. And so this is one thing that keeps us... Here at Gambro, I feel like we really focus on the gospel really well, and sometimes it can become a mundane story, and it doesn't, it loses its, um, not power, but like our, our response to it. It's like, yeah, yeah, Jesus died, he rose. And this kind of reminds me, there are people out there today who are trying to deceive the truth of the gospel. I won't get into the nitty gritties of what that means, but there are people out there spreading that this isn't true. And so no matter how much we feel we talk about it, we can never slow down and stop talking about the gospel. We have to talk about it because other people are actively bringing it down and saying it wasn't true. And it says that um, to this day, in this passage it says, 
It has been spread among the Jewish people to this day. To this day, a lot of the Jews don't believe Jesus came, died, and is the king. They, they still are waiting for the king. And there are people to this day that don't believe that Jesus really died and was risen from the grave. And um, we see this, we run into people uh, who, who have an idea, like I said at the beginning there, they have this, the, this view of the Bible that's like, surely none of that's all true if it doesn't make sense, so I'm not going to believe it. And we have to um, be aware that there are a lot of non-believers out there who have definitely been hurt by um, either the church and now they're totally against the gospel. Or there's people who don't know the gospel that need to be told this because the lie that they told then, there's only been multiple lies told about this story. And we have to make sure that we, as a church and as a people individually, are telling the gospel, no, what you've heard is not true. And I'm sorry that you heard it that way, but this is what really happened. And we have to be on guard about telling the truth of the gospel because we know, just like I said earlier, that the, the enemy is constantly going to go around until Jesus comes back and deceive every single person into thinking that this is not a true story so that they can be with him and not with Jesus. So it comes down to this, really. What, what are we going to decide? Are you going to basically believe that he rose from the grave or are you going to believe that the body was stolen? It comes down to that question. And um, Chris read at the beginning, and I'll read it one more time just at the tail end of 1 Corinthians 15, but if Jesus was raised from the dead, it's either Jesus was raised from the dead or he literally did die. And we have to, we have to choose that for ourselves. But in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in sin. If this didn't happen, we are still in sin. We're, we're literally living with no purpose. And then it goes on to say, those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ had been raised from the dead and the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. Something just came to my mind that I'm going to pause real quick and say. One thing that um, we see in the story was that they were bribed um, that the two guards were bribed with money to go tell a lie. But we see on the other end, on, on this side of the, of, uh, on, with the disciples, that there was no bribe to go tell the story. It was the free gospel that now is freely told. But they paid a price, and most of their price was in death. They, they didn't have money being bribed for them to go tell. They experienced it and therefore went and told everyone and most of them experienced death because of it. And so that's just one thing that just came to mind because uh, they like to cover up the story and the people who are going out and telling the truth of the gospel don't end up in the, they end up basically like the guards should have ended up and they end up dead for their, for their faith. But we all individually have to come to a point where we look at the scripture and we look at Jesus and we see what he said, and we see what he's done, and we have to believe that he died for us and that he rose defeating death, and we have eternal life, or at the end of the day, we choose to not. And he gives us the free will to choose that. Sometimes I really like free will, and sometimes I really don't. 
but I like it in this case because he didn't force us to believe in him. He lets us decide for ourselves, And that is where we, what the contention we face every day with people is, you have to make this decision for yourself to believe in Jesus Christ and that he rose for you for, and for your sin. And that now that this has happened, death is put to death. You, can, you have eternal life. We have a purpose to be able to live out. And it's not just us walking around until we're dead. We can live out a purpose and then live with him forever. And we're going to uh, sing a song. It's called Thank You, Jesus, for the Blood. And I know many of us know the gospel, but if you don't know the gospel, this is a time where you can um, come and place your faith in Jesus Christ, that um, he's called you a son and daughter when you put, put your faith in him. He uh, forgives you of your sin. He calls you his own. Um, outside of him, we are nothing. We are worthless people, but in him, we have eternal life. We, have, we are his family. And it says in John 10, uh, 27 through 33, it says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my hand and my Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. So when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, no matter how much doubt we have, we are assured that we are his. And, if, and many of us, we know this story. And I want this invitation song to be a time of thanksgiving, to thank the Lord for what he did for us, to thank the Lord for what he suffered and died because we couldn't do it. And just remind ourselves of the time when we came to faith and said, I get it. Thank you. And so today is a day of salvation, and we live it out freely. And I hope that we take this story away, and it's not just something that we know, but it's something that we live, and it's something that changes who we are every single day. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this time where you've allowed me to speak about this miracle that we don't deserve. God, we don't deserve the grace that you give us. Lord, thank you that you didn't leave us in the dark, that just as you told your disciples what would happen, you've shown us the end of our life and what will happen then. Lord, I pray that if anyone hears this message, that they would place their faith in you, that they would take the time to study your word, to pray to you, and to say, Lord, change my heart and my view of this. And Lord, as many of us in this room are Christians, we all sometimes don't really grasp this gospel like we should. We take it for granted. We think we're better um, because of it, and we start throwing it in people's faces. But Lord, I pray you would humble us and remind us that we didn't deserve this. This was a free gift, and therefore, we should freely give it to other people. Be in this time of invitation, Lord, and open our hearts to be thankful for what you've done on the cross and in your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.